out with me. Uh, I, I love this question. I, I love, first of all, that all the kids were like trucking down the aisle. I was thinking, they're running to Jesus. We should follow them. And then I realized they were going to kids' church. But um, it was, I mean, just what a great day. I, I have a question that really was to begin this teaching out of Colossians, the first chapter. And it was, um, if you were asked to define Mandarin, how would you define us? What would that look like? Um, and, and I just wanted that question to linger for a little while because I believe this about the church, that we multiply who we are. And the series that we're in, that we've kind of been away from for a few weeks, but that we're coming back into, is called Multiply. And that we multiply who we are. And I had the neatest God encounter. Justin is getting married in 20 days. Congratulations, Justin. So, I was hanging out with Justin and um, having a good time Friday night. What men always look forward to. Wedding showers. And so... Um, so we were hanging out of the shower and having a great time, and um, I didn't even know you were in this story until later, so you're a part of the story. And then, um, Donna, I got to meet your son, not named Josh, but is it Tommy? Okay, so I called him Tommy all night, and that's really bad. Okay, so I met Tommy, and Tommy's like, uh, right now he's at Beaches Chapel because he's a student pastor down there, and so I just have the best dialogue with Thomas, who I called Tommy the whole time. And... Um, and so we're just talking a lot, and he's telling me a lot of stories about, um, you know, what, how God has used this fellowship, what he's doing now, just how God is working in his life. And then um, because Sherry had just passed away that day, he starts talking to me a lot about how she multiplied her life and his life and just what she meant to him. And likewise, um, I've read the neatest thing who I lost, the much better half of Justin, there she is, Jimily, was just talking about just some incredible words of encouragement that, that Sherry spoke into your life just a few weeks ago, but for many years now. And uh, I, I shouldn't look at y'all because I'll cry now. And so um, Justin and Tommy, Thomas, were good friends. They're, I mean, here's multiply. When I start to say, how would you define our church and what does it look like? I was just sitting today listening to the great day and thinking, look, what came together from Friday to today, just how God works. Because several months ago, I'm talking to this guy whose name is Joel. And Joel, can you say hello to Joel? Hi, Joel. Joel's telling me about how God just changed his life and how he just had complete people. We were sitting at a great place to talk about this. Moe's. Most. And so, I mean, if you're going to talk about Jesus, you should eat a burrito. And so we were talking about the Lord, talking about the change in his life. And he's telling me about these two guys who he worked with, who spoke Christ into his life and literally created complete spiritual upheaval for him, leading him to an incredible faith journey that led him to pray over us while we we're preparing to give an offering. So I'm talking to Thomas Friday night, and I find out he works at Play It Again Sports, and he asked me, do you know Joel? He said, Justin and I used to hang out with Joel and talk on him. I said, time out. You're the two guys? And he said, we're the two guys. And so I just started putting this together and going, wow. So Justin, whose life is passionate for Christ, Thomas, whose life is passionate for Christ, Sherry, who just painted a picture of the glory of Christ in their lives and invested them as a student worker for years. These two guys go to work and they think because we love Jesus, we should actually take him to work. And their boss, your boss, right? Like you're the owner or something like that. Well, we'll make you the owner because that makes you more wealthy. And so um, the boss, I mean, they're not just talking to a peer. They're talking up line and just kind of living out Jesus. And so I don't know. I'm just thinking when I start to ask, 
What do you think defines us? This, this is what it should look like. I mean, I should be having conversations at Moe's and months later start to go, oh, you're the guy who went to work at Play It Again, started talking to Joel, who's singing now in the musical and praying over the church because you sing of the greatness of God because somebody who loved you enough to pour into you led you to lead that kind of life. <laughs> Praise God. So... I don't, y'all should probably like high five before y'all walk off the stage or something like that. I just wanted, they, they don't like each other anymore. We're working through this now. <laughs> it's so cool. So I, I just wanted to let people see faces and reality. When you start to ask, so thanks guys. And I didn't ask, I'm kind of like my daughter. I didn't ask permission to tell that story. And so, um, I just went for it. And I, I think, um, I start to, I start to just say so, I put this, if you follow me on social network, I didn't want this to be a rhetorical question. I want you to answer this throughout the week. What do you think defines Mandarin? And I really want us to wrestle with that because here's what, here's what I know. We don't multiply something that we want to be. And, and as I read Colossians, the first chapter, I see a church who is truly multiplying some incredible things of God through them. And we, we don't multiply some desired outcomes like, you know, I'm really hoping everybody will gain a lot of faith while we have none. I'm really hoping that people will come to know Jesus, yet we don't speak of him. I'm, I'm really hoping that people will have great hope in heaven when we don't. I'm really hoping that people will love each other and it will be an abounding love, a compelling love. And the question would be, what defines us? We, we talked last week, if you'll remember, about the Fosiloron. I love the Fosiloron. I will always love the Fosiloron. I hope that some of you Googled it last week and just read more and more about it. The oldest hymn that we're aware of in the Christian church outside of the Bible. And it's just really about a church who said, you know what? We, res- we live our lives out of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we actually invoke worship because Jesus is resurrected among us. Now, if you're reading the Bible or you're reading parallels to Scripture about historical reality, as this church was worshiping, they were also being martyred. There was great, great conviction among this church. And they were multiplying that conviction. As you read of the church at Colossae, it's a church that had incredible sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of God. And their sacrifice wasn't, you know, I'm sorry, we're going to preach, it's going to be a long day because we're late again. That's No, no. Their sacrifice was they would lit a flame as Nero had parties. Their sacrifice was being pierced with the sword. Their sacrifice was being stoned to death. And they, and they, and they, I love this, I love this um, image of the faith. Uh, they, many of them that were in and around Jerusalem would spend times in the catacombs conversing with another and also at, at the, the reality of saving their lives physically. And the catacombs are littered. In fact, in just a moment, I want you to watch with me for a moment about the reality of the New Testament church and what defined them. The catacombs were littered with images and pictures. And it was not of just the resurrection of Jesus. That's not solely what they believed. They believed Jesus was resurrected, but it went further than that. And in fact, I need to stop talking about this and let you share this, but here's where it went. It went to this level. It's not that Jesus historically resurrected from the dead. It's that we believe deeply that his resurrection is living among us. And it defines us. We're not getting together once a year and you know, a third of the crowd doesn't show up the week after, and I don't care about that. I'm just saying we're not gathering because there's some historical figure that we're going to do an Easter deal about and we'll put on, you know, frills. We're getting together because Jesus has resurrected among us. And it 
cost us dearly. I was watching this, and I want to just take a couple minutes to turn your eyes to the screen, and then I want to think about a church that is well-defined out of Colossians 1, 3 through 8. But before we do that, I want to give you an incredible thought to ponder. Um, This video is called Lost No More. Would you just turn your eyes to the screen? Have you ever noticed how art is just a reflection of the inner artist? You really see that in the catacombs. You would expect as you walked through the catacombs to see um, you know, multiple pictures of ichthuses and crosses. But what you see are paintings of Daniel in the lion's den, Noah's Ark, Jesus healing the paralytic. Um, but the most prolific icon in the catacombs um, is the resurrection of Lazarus not the resurrection of Jesus even. And it just kind of makes you wonder why. Because you got to remember that these are the same individuals who at that particular time were experiencing persecution um, like never before. Uh, This was the same group of people who on a regular basis would find themselves and and, and see their friends uh, in the midst of these parties being torn apart by wild animals or being impaled on a pole and set on fire to light the parties just for the entertainment of the Roman elite. This is the same group of people, uh, when you look at it historically, who didn't flee Rome. Um, With this persecution going on, they stayed. So it just kind of makes you wonder um, what was going on in their heart. You know, a part of it, I think, um, was this belief that they didn't have to necessarily remember Jesus' resurrection, but that as his people, as his children, as his community, that they could experience it. That maybe they had this belief Um, that there was something worse than being persecuted. Um, That there was something worse than than death. Maybe they understood that there was something worse than death, and that was to be lost, (laughs) Um, to be disconnected from the Heavenly Father. You see that in Jesus' life. He obviously believed that there was something worse than death, his own death even, death on a cross. Um, And that was for all of mankind uh, to spend eternity disconnected from the Father. So you just wonder if that early church didn't have at the very core of who they were that belief that there was truly something worse than death. And that's being lost. I was in India. And there was an orphanage, except they wouldn't let me call it an orphanage. They, they said it was um, a children's home because orphans were people who were homeless and these kids were no longer homeless. And as you walked into this entrance, um, you saw all the kids, but then your eye was immediately drawn to the uh, wall. And, and on the wall was this huge tapestry and it was a picture of Jesus holding this little lamb. And underneath it, it said, lost no more. <laughs> I mean, they got it. Um, The core of who they were um, was that there was something worse than death and that was being lost. But then what really drove them was the flip side of that. Um, That there was something better than life. And that life uh, and that just existence that we often go through. And and what was better than that was being found. (laughs) What was better than that um, was to be lost no more. Was to be found by our Heavenly Father kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it, um, what our world would look like if we, if we truly believe that, if, if, if the art of our lives um, reflected that core belief, if the art of our lives reflected the belief that there was something worse than death and that was being lost, um, that means that, that there was something worse than, um, than disease. 
there's something worse than cancer. There's something worse uh, than poverty. There's something worse than than not meeting our potential. There's something worse than not meeting our financial goals. Um, there's something worse than divorce. I mean, um, that there's something worse, and that worse is being lost, being di- disconnected uh, from our heavenly Father. But then the flip side of that's the hope of the resurrection. It's 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 the beauty of the gospel. And that is that there is truly something better than life. There's truly something better than um, just existing and just breathing. Um, And that is to be found. (laughs) So what would your world look like? Um, What would your cul-de-sac look like? What would your conversations um, sound like? Uh, What would your marriage feel like? If you truly lived by that basic truth, uh, that there's something worse than death, and that's being lost. Uh, But there's something way better than just living, uh, and that's being found. So that's true. I think the early church got that. Not if that's true, it is true then there is something that drives us as a church to say, God, what defines us? We are lost no more. But being found in Him, being found in Jesus Christ, we are a people who have abounding hope and abounding passion. It says in Colossians 1.6 that the entirety of the world, that the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing in this glorious gospel and the reality that we are lost no more. And I love this truth, this fraction of this truth. It always sears my soul as I think about the church as it is also done among you since the day you heard of it and you understood the grace of God in all of its truth. Listen to that, listen to that. That's a well-defined church. Look, the, the, the message of Christ is multiplying all over the world and it has some pretty beautiful things happening in the people of God. And I want to read that in a moment, but here's how it multiplies and here's how people are getting that is that you understand the grace of God in all of its truth. In all the truth of who God is, you are reveling in the grace of God and you are passionate for the grace of God because you are lost no more. You have been found in Him. And it draws out this incredible, intense passion for the things of God. And the reality for us is that there are there is something far worse than, and you could fill in the blank, and that is to be lost. But for those of us in the room, and, and I don't, can't tell right now of how you're feeling about this, but there is something great about Jesus to be able to say, Jesus, you rescued me. You have placed me in the kingdom of you. You have placed me in the middle of who you are. You have covered me and robed me in you. You have found me in you. And holy God, praise you that I am lost no more. But better than that, I am fully alive and fully found in Jesus Christ. And that absolutely stuns and marks a church and it defines us. And so I come back to the question that I really want you to answer because this is a question of multiplication. Colossae, it says of them, first of all, that the gospel is bigger than the church at Colossae. Let me just give you some great news. The gospel is far bigger than Mandarin Baptist Church. I mean, it's just such good news because it's not fully incumbent upon us. In fact... It says that the Lord will look throughout the land for people who are fully after his heart and he will move in in the middle of them. So the gospel far supersedes us. But it then says at church at Colossae, you're in the middle of it, church. 
You're in the middle of this movement and it is multiplying all around you. And here's why. Here's why, church at Colossae. And here's how it could be, church at Mandarin. You are tasting and seeing and living and fleshing out the fullness of the grace of Christ as you have fully understood it in all of its truth. So praise God. And so then what would that look like? And I think there's three things. I don't even have to come up with three points in the poem. I mean, it's straight out of Scripture. He says, look, I want you to tell you what your church looks like. Your church looks like this. Chapter 1, verse 3. We thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we're praying for you because we've heard of your faith. It's beautiful. We have heard of your faith. And it's not a random faith. Your faith is in Christ Jesus. And here's what we've also heard of. And the love that you have for all the saints. And here's why you have faith and love. Isn't this interesting in light of Corinthians? We always like... 1 Corinthians 13, you know, we have love, faith, hope, and love, but the grace of these is love. Well, to the church at Colossae, he actually flips that a little bit. He says, I am so thrilled to see you have faith and love, but the driving factor of that, here's what's driving that for you. Here's what's happening in the middle of your church. Here's why it's amazing. It is all going on because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard this. Before in the word of truth, it's the gospel which has come to you. And then we just go on and we've read this part. And you have believed this gospel. It's going global. And you're in the middle of it. And it is the grace of God and all of its truth. And when I start to see that happen, I think, man, a church that's about that. I mean, the thing that would define us is that we have abounding hope among us. I mean, our, our lives are just defined by hope. I mean, we're, we're to, to, I don't remember who I'm quoting now, but we are like connoisseurs of hope. We are givers away of hope. There is a hope that sustains us, and it is not, it is not a random it is hope. It is a hope that is laid up for us in heaven. I mean, we have this passion that says, God, there is a bigger thing than the issues we walk through in this earth. That we are yours. There is nothing greater than that. We are stunned by you. We love you. God, this is what defines us. I was reading, and I, I don't want to keep coming back to Sherry, but I'm, I'm going to. I was reading, um, one of the people put that she spoke to you guys in the last season, walking through journey. I think you put this, and you want to talk about abounding hope? In the midst of speaking of her illness, she described her life as ridiculously joyful. And I don't have to look far to say, what does this look like? This is what it looks like in the middle of a church, that regardless of circumstance, regardless of what's going on, we're not defined by that. Something bigger defines us, and that is being found in Him. And therefore, because we are in Jesus Christ, we have much hope. You may drive us into the catacombs of the greatest travesties of this life, but the pictures that cover the walls will be the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so what is the art of Mandarin? What would cover the walls of this church? Because here's the reality, guys. We will multiply who we are. And I just wonder if we're defined as a people of God. As Church of Colossae writes, you're a people of God whose hope is laid up in heaven. And you can follow the trail of your life and answer that question. I mean, roll down the trail of your checkbook, your time, your possessions, what keeps you up at night. You will find at the end of that trail, just name the trail, time, possessions, what keeps you up at night, what you dream about, where you're investing all of your energy. You'll find where your hope is because there is the throne at the end of that trail. And I just wonder if the end of the trail of the life of this church, it is this, one throne survives and it is the throne of the King of glory and that we're a people who are just compelled by hope in Christ. I mean, and Paul writes about this, and he talks to us about this. It is absolutely a favorite verse of mine to just say, God, I want us to have this level of hope. In the second 
chapter of Corinthians, which is back up just a couple of places in Scripture in the um, second Corinthians chapter 4. I, I love what Paul says about this. These are some of my absolute favorite verses in all the Scripture because it's talking about abounding hope. And he says this, So we don't lose heart because there's this treasure in us that's in this jar of clay that is falling away. So we do not lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day after day for this, listen, 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 this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look to things not on the scene, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient or temporal, but things that are unseen, they are eternal. And I love this about Paul because you can read this and go, it's awesome. Yeah, what he's talking about in light and momentary afflictions is overwhelming to us. I mean, it goes very well with this video. Paul's writing and saying, even though five times I have been taking 39 lashes, it's light and momentary, yet for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Yet though I've been put on a ship as a prisoner, it is light and momentary, yet for the hope abounding in Jesus Christ. Yet though I have been beaten to the point of death, it is light and momentary. Yet though I write this letter to Colossae from prison, it is light and momentary, yet for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. Even though I will likely die for the sake of the kingdom, it is light and momentary. And I'm not throwing out the suggestion that that you should shoot for that in this lifetime. You know, I hope I can be beaten to the point of death five times and make it. I hope that I can be shipwrecked a couple of times and one of them be bitten by a viper so that I can write a verse like this. No, no. I'm just wondering in the middle of the context of your life if the light and momentary afflictions are worth it because there is something that far surpasses that. Now, you're a people, we're a people that define, that says, God, this too will pass because you are greater than and we love you more than and we're coming after you. And God, so in these moments when I am when I am conflicted about sacrificing my integrity, it is a light and momentary moment to hold to my integrity, even though it will cost me something. In these moments, as I think about being sacred about the things that you call sacred, God, it might cost me something to stand in the middle of the winds of America. And I will stand in the middle of them knowing that yet it costs me there's something far greater. It might cost me something to actually flesh out Jesus at Mandarin High School, at Creekside High School, at Bartram High School. It might cost me something to literally walk around and be for Jesus when most people are not for Him. And yet it is light and momentary compared to the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. I mean, we just keep rolling with this. And I, I mean, you know, God, I can stay in the middle of that relationship. I can tolerate the middle of these things. I can stand in and love my brothers and sisters because I'm going to love them in the middle of eternity 10,000 years from now. So this light and momentary work that we have to figure out life together, it is worth it. I mean, we just, just on and on. Paul says, look, there's an eternal weight of glory and there is a hope that is laid up for in heaven. And it, and it seems to me that the church at Colossae the gospel was multiplying and it was a beautiful picture. So I just come back and ask again, what is it that defines Mandarin? What would you say? I mean, what, if you, if you just, if you just kind of shut from the cuff and you, you went in social network and answered it, or if you, if, if we just took these walls, which would be really fun and I could create quite a disturbance among our church over something so trivial as a white wall. If we just started to paint pictures on these walls and said, this is who we are. These are the catacombs of our fellowship. This is what defines us. What, what would happen? What would the art of our lives be? 
Would it, would it reflect to people who said, hey, God, look, the light momentary afflictions, the hope that we have, we endure because we think there is something greater. We've been found. We're a whole slew of people who are sitting in this room who have been found by Christ, for Christ, in Him. So beautiful. So therefore, you go back to verse 3, we have great faith among us and great hope among us. And I find it interesting, I just want to maybe close with a Jesus story out of the third chapter of Mark, because what I find is that Jesus often had to walk up to people who um, were the church whose whole role was to be the light of the goodness and greatness of God. And he had to rattle their cages very often because what he found was lack of hope in eternity, lack of faith among the church, lack of, 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 of reality that there's love that compels us. In fact, he found non-love among the church, non-faith among the church, and no hope in heaven. There was great territorialism and great um, passion for things. I was I was reading about this idea of faith and hope and just saying, God, first of all, we will be a church that's abounding in love and we'll be a church, I don't remember what I put with it, but I think it'll be compelling faith. It will be passion-filled faith. There will be this movement of God that springs forth. I love the Greek word pisteo for faith. It literally means something we believe that moves us to action. Faith isn't something you believe. It is something you believe that moves you into the very heart and life of God. So when he writes to the church and says, look, you're a people of faith, it meant I see your faith. I I like James in this moment. You can talk to me too. You're blue into faith about what you believe. But I'd love to see this. I'd love to see you live it. Because I'll show you my faith by the actions that I portray. You can keep talking. I'll show it to you. And that's, that's what Jesus did as Jesus walked up in this moment. The encounter I wrote as I just taught, thought about faith is, um, there was a, there was a group that, that their entirety of purpose, there's a lot of folks like this today. Their entirety of purpose was to protect their religious subculture of the day. That, that was what they lived for. Very comfortable with their culture. They were very comfortable with where they were. And, and in fact, it was ironic because they had actually begun to use the church of the day for power. The very minute that we think we're in this for some power or self-gain, we have missed it. I mean, we're here, in case you don't know, to serve this city. We are here to give our lives away. We are here to give up, to lose, to pour our lives out, to be second, to be nothing. That loses some of the idea that I want to be on a committee or have some leadership role. Oh, you want to do that? Awesome. You get to give more away. You get to be less. You don't get to be second, you get to be 50th. Praise God. That's, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And so Jesus is running into this encounter in Matthew, the third chapter, where it is one of the most de- depressing pictures for me because Jesus is walking in to actually teach in the temple and the religious leaders of the day have, have gone out and here's what they've done. And it's once again found in Mark, the third chapter, the fifth verse is where Jesus really responds to them. But, but they have gone and found a guy with a withered hand. And they've said, look, we want you to come in and sit in the middle of Jesus and he's going to be teaching. And what they're trying to do is ultimately set up Jesus. You talk about non-faith. We're going to, I mean, get this, we're going to have a moment that's going to be all about God hypothetically. It's going to be an encounter of worship. The word of God is going to be unveiled. It's going to be our weekly worship. And our goal is to set the guy up who's going to be talking about God. That's, that's our goal. 
I mean, can you picture this? If you go with me, this is maybe outside of the biblical context for a moment, but it had to have happened. Can you picture the religious leaders of of that day saying, look, we're going to get together and let's go walk outside and let's find someone who is withered. Let's find someone who is broken. Let's find someone who is helpless and let's get them in here. Let's set them up. So we can take Jesus down. And so they literally walked out and they went looking for the hurting and broken. It didn't fit our song at all. God, we're here to be mended. We're here to be healed. No, no. We're bringing you in so you can be used so that we can capture Jesus. And so this, I mean, it's, they completely miss God's grace in all of its truth. And so they're on a, they're on a witch hunt. And so they bring him in. They literally say, you sit down here on the front row. You enjoyed this encounter. And so he did. And Jesus looked at him in Mark, the third chapter, the, the fifth verse. Jesus says he was repulsed by the attitude and actions of the religious culture of the day. They were anything but graceful. They were anything but loving. They were anything but caring. And so he literally looked at the guy and he said, look, I have seen you. I see this guy with a crippled hand. I see you. I see you don't care. I see this is what the kingdom of God looks like. And so he literally does what you hypothetically don't do on the Sabbath. He literally looked at all the people who can you picture these people, the one who always say, we've never done it that way before. We're not comfortable with that way. We don't like that because we like control. Jesus looks at him and says, it is not about control. It's about the kingdom of God. And the irony of this whole thing is that there is a slew of people hurting around you. And here's the culture of our day as the culture of that day. We have a tendency to say, forget the people who are hurting outside these doors. We just want to be comfortable in here. We just want you to fit what I want in here and do this for me until I die. All the while, this city is flooded with need. And Jesus looked at that and it pierced his heart. And he said, look, you with the withered hand, come, you are withered no more. The guy says, you're healing me? And Jesus says, I'm not healing you, you are healed. And he stretched out his hand. And that's a whole sermon unto itself, because I'm just wondering, like, what would he stretch out his hand to do? I just enjoy the potential dialogue of Jesus and this guy. And I just enjoy the potential conversations they have as they talked about faith, because he would look at him and said, look, man, this guy looked at Jesus and said, it seemed to me that you had a little tension back there. Should we work on that? There's not a lot of hope for those guys. We're not going to work on that tension. There's a greater tension. That is connecting God to men, and that's why I'm here. So I'm here to put people who want their hearts to be connected with God, Jesus was saying to him. And I was like, wow, that was an awkward moment that we had. But thank you so much. And he's going like, look, you have a free hand. What are you going to do now, juggle? For the sake of the glory? Are you going to play guitar? Are you going to join the band? I just picture this guy because we don't know where he went. But look, here's what I know about him. He probably carried on for another few seasons and went to heaven. He was probably part of the early church. And he was probably a part of people who laid up much hope in heaven, who lived with great faith in the kingdom of God, and who had compelling love. I don't know if he was a part of the church at Colossae or not, because I don't know where he was from. I can just bet you that his life was not characterized by restriction, power, and control. It was characterized by, my God can do anything. It will be for his glory. He is a great God, and I want to spend my life, giving my life away for that Jesus. And my faith will be spent for that, and the love that I have. And I love Jesus because he probably carried on some conversation with him saying, what do you hope comes out of this? And I, I can imagine he would look and say, man, I hope something more than what we're experiencing in church comes out. 
I hope something more than this day. And in fact, can we change the entirety of dynamic of this day? Can we search throughout the highways for those who need, need Christ, who need you, Messiah? Can we go search for them and bring them in so they can find hope and provision, so they can find love and faith, so they can find hope laid up in heaven, so they can be found? Because Jesus does not what was happening with me. Can we create a church that's so dynamic and so beautiful and so compelling and so moving that those with wither hands can find wholeness in you, Lord. God, can I be a part of a movement like that? Can I be a part of a dream like that? And I believe that Jesus wrote, or actually Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, when I look in the windows of your church, I see a place that is is faith abounding, where withered hands that have been made whole are lifted with holy vigor before the King of glory. I see a group of people who were broken and have been mended, who were lost and who have been found, who were, who were dying and have been made alive, who were buried in their sins and who have been resurrected into Jesus. I look in the middle of that and I see a healing place where the King of glory is in, in the midst of them. I see a place of faith. And I see a place of faith where all of these broken and graceful people, get this, get this, who understand the grace of God in all of its truth who understand the unbelievable merit of being found in Him. I see them just living life together. A mosaic of the grace of Jesus Christ. And there is a love among them that you cannot conjure. I'm just asking, what defines us? Faith and love? The people who are saying, God, our hope is in You and we are ridiculously joyful no matter the circumstance. I just wrote down, I think Jesus just dreamed some stuff. I think the guy turned to him and said, what do you dream of? And I just read a lot of the Gospels, and I, I think Jesus would have said, I dream that places of worship will be filled with people who lay at wake at night passionately concerned about the people that my Father created. That's the driving force. Not, not what makes me comfortable, but God, what drives me out for your glory. I dream of people who care about broken bodies, broken souls, hopeless futures. That we can step in the middle of it with the hope of Jesus Christ. I care about people who have hell-bound eternities. And I care about the gospel of Jesus Christ going to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what I dream about. I dream of the day of people who gather in my name are so filled with the love of the Father that they spread His love. And it is a beautiful love. They extend healthy hands to withered hands. That's what I dream of. I dream of a place where withered hands are just being prayed up and coached up and shared up and discipled up to be able to live radically, outward-focused, Christ-centered, God-oriented lives. That's the church. Maybe I would just say this. I dream of a place where the grace of God is embraced and enjoyed in all of its truth. We are just a group of people who are basking in Him. That's... That's the dream. And so I just, I just asked the question. I may have asked it a few times today, just one last time. What would you say? What would you describe as the art of Mandarin? I mean, if we're enforcing the catacombs, what litters the walls? What makes us go? What defines us? Because here's what, here's what I, I think is irrefutable. We will multiply who we are. And I love these words. I have seen the faith 
flows through you. It is a faith in Jesus Christ. And I see the love that moves among you. It is a love that abounds in Him. And I see the hope. The hope that gives you faith and love. The hope that is for something that is laid up far greater than any pursuit on this earth. It's a hope that's laid up in heaven. And that is going all over the world. And church at Colossae, you're in it. What about us? Let's pray. Let's beg God. God, we desperately need you just as we are. We need you to mend us. God, this is something that's more profound. We need you to break us so that we can be broken of self, self, selfish, self-focus. And God, you can mend us and complete us in you. Jesus, I pray for our fellowship that we will be a well-defined fellowship for the sake of your glory. That the renown that will flow out of us will be faith and love that is bolstered in a hope that is laid up for us. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. And I pray that we as a church will wrestle with what it is that defines us. It's for the sake of the gospel that we pray and hope. It's the sake of the gospel that we live and move and have our being. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, this is